Welcome to the Subtext Podcast. My name is Brian James Polak. This month in the Subtext, I speak with Vichette Chum, a Cambodian-American playwright and theater maker originally from Dallas, Texas, and now living in New York City. But before I get to the interview, I want to mark the end of another year of doing this podcast. Regular listeners have heard me talk about what a roller coaster this Subtext can be for me. Before I started doing this for American Theatre Magazine, I recorded the subtext for two years out of Los Angeles for LA Stage Alliance. 25 episodes were released between 2015 and 2017. Since LA Stage has shuttered, those episodes aren't hosted anywhere, but I'm working on that. There, there were some really incredible playwrights included in those years, and I'm finding a place to upload those episodes so people can hear those brilliant writers talk. This now is the end of the fifth year I've been doing it for American Theatre Magazine, and I really can't believe it. But the first episode was in January of 2018. This episode you are listening to now is the 62nd for American Theatre. Add the 25 I did in the early years, that means I'm about a year away from hitting 100. Like I said earlier, this roller coaster is cruising along, and I'm in it for 100 episodes and beyond. I already have a bunch of episodes in the works for 2023 and so many more playwrights I want to talk to. So I wanted to say up front, thank you for listening and thank you to all the amazing writers I've spoken to over the years. Each one of you has inspired me in some way and I can't wait to meet more of you in the future. Until then, I've got the awesome Fichette Chum to share with you. His plays have been workshopped at Steppenwolf Theater, the Magic Theater, the Alley Theater, the U-Cross Foundation, Fault Line Theater, Merrimack Repertory Theater, the New Harmony Project, and many others. He received the 2018-19 Princess Grace Award in playwriting with New Dramatists, serves as an associate artist at Merrimack Repertory Theater, and is a current board member for the New Harmony Project. He's currently working on a commission from the Audible Theater Emerging Playwrights Fund, and Cleveland Playhouse. Bichette is a graduate of the University of Evansville, where he received his BFA, and Brown University, where he received his MFA. We spoke at Front Bar, which is the bar at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. This was like the third or fourth subtext I've recorded at the Front Bar, and I think it's becoming one of those happy places for me. This one, however, had an inauspicious start. Just as I was setting up my equipment, uh, Bichette waiting patiently, I realized I didn't have an SD card, which is a crucial thing for recording. I ran to Best Buy and back, and when I arrived back at the bar, I realized I bought the wrong SD card. Meanwhile, Vichette is just sitting there waiting for me. I was unbelievably humiliated. He graciously agreed to meet me the following day, which bought me some time to figure out the stupid SD card debacle. Fortunately, it worked out, and we got to have an excellent conversation, which you are about to hear. This is me and Vachette Chum, recorded in Chicago in December of 2022. Do you write multiple things at the same time? Um, yes, I do. I, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm not good at it, but I, I, I think by product of, of, of some of the opportunities that have come up recently, I've been sort of forced into multitasking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is I'm awful at multitasking, <laughs> um, but I'm trying. I'm, and, and, you know, similar to what I said a second ago, it's just like for me personally, are we recording? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wow, <laughs> we really just melted into this. Um, no, there's... You know, I am not a great multitasker, but I have to. And I think ultimately it does help me be less precious about Mm -hmm. one thing or to be so obsessed about one thing Um, because I can be and I can go, I can stare at a computer screen for hours and not do anything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need that sort of, you know, the ask from the universe or the ask from your calendar to just like, try this other thing because I need to step away from it. Can you write without uh, the internet? Like, could you go to a place with no internet access? Yeah. 
Yeah, I could. I will say I like writing, and this is hard during the pandemic, but I like writing like at coffee shops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this sort of the buzz around me, and I also love the shame of not going on social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it does force me to like, you know, to try. You know, to I'm there for you know the very singular singular intention of trying to write. Right. Um, and I like a little white noise. I like white noise around me to sort of. I love it. Yeah. 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 Same sometimes here. not. I mean, sometimes depending on what I'm working on, you know. Um, I think when I'm building, I like it. I like it. Um, when I start to like hone in really specifically on on thing changes that I need to make or like a character's voice or something. I need silence just yeah. to speak it out loud. Yeah. Um, but when I'm building the play initially, I really like to be, to have a buzz around me. I like visual white noise. Mm, yeah. That's yeah. why I like uh, writing in coffee shops because yeah. I just, I like things that are hap- like movement that's happening in front of me that I yeah. am completely not associated with. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, it's like watching a fishbowl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of meditative. It's meditative. Yeah. And it's also just like, I don't know. It at least for me, it forces me to like focus harder. You know what I mean? And I think, I think too. Like when I'm by myself, I can be distracted by everything. Yeah. Um, and there's always a choice to do something else if I'm mm. by myself. But at a at a coffee shop or at a bar or something, there's a uh, I don't know. There there is a call to sort of like focus in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's why I asked about the internet because the, when I was writing this morning, I was at this this coffee shop and uh, I didn't. It had like a locked internet, and you had to get up and get the password. And I was like, ah, yeah. I don't feel like getting back up. I just got settled in. I was sitting on a couch, and it was really comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I'm just gonna go for the next few hours without right without internet, and because I will, t- I will like leave the script. I right. will open up. The browser, and I will I will read something, and right, I'll come right, back, right. and I'm like, I'm not doing that today. And it was kind of nice. I went four hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which yeah, feels like like big deal. It it is a big deal, yeah. though. I mean, four hours. Yeah. Just writing. I did check my phone a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always that. Well, I think you know, like, I am guilty of like doing exactly what you do, which is like. If you're if you have the internet, you're constantly googling things like what is how does this make sense? You know what is this thing? Mm. Um, but sometimes it's it's nice to be like, oh, y- you don't have that resource of the internet to like to to I don't know to to research and to make sure it's factual or whatever. You yeah. just kind of have to go creatively. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're here in Chicago right now, and your play, The Bald Sisters, is opening in like a week, right? Yeah, December 11th. And uh, are you able to work on anything while you're like, you're in previews right now. Mm-hmm. Are you working on anything else? Can you, can you like, can your mind sort of jump between I mean, projects I, like that? I've been pretty entrenched in this world for a month now. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, when I first got here, I was working on two other projects as well. Um, so it was kind of a jarring transition. Yeah. Um, right now I, I, I absolutely cleared my calendar and told people that I'm so sorry, I'm off limits, Mm -hmm. um, until we open the show. Um, because you know, I'm, I feel very much admittedly that I'm a baby playwright. Like I, I'm learning about process and Mm -hmm. I'm learning about what I need, um, how I move through the sort of tech dress preview process Mm -hmm. into performances and the truth is like like tech into dress into previews is like really fucking terrifying Mm -hmm. you know i feel very vulnerable right now Mm -hmm. and very raw and you know we've just spent so much time sort of giving dimension to the story and then it's like that first dress you plop in there and you're like what is this? Like, what sort of Frankenstein monster is this? And like, does this work? And, um, I'm still, you know, admittedly like really unsure about certain things. Is this your first production? This is my third production. Um, I had a, I had a production of a solo play back in 2018, Mm -hmm. but I was acting in it. Mm -hmm. Um, so (laughs) 
in that situation, you know, I was the playwright and the actor. And so any playwriting stuff that I felt like was at a deficit, like I try to make it up with acting. Right, <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Yeah. Like I could do something. <laughs> um, and then the last play that I did was down at the Alley Theater. It was another play. Yeah. Um, I wasn't performing in it, but it was um, it was like my first play that I saw with actors and it was sitting in the house and I had to sort of trust and like let go of a lot. Um, And there are certainly things I learned in that process that I was like, okay, I want to take that information and step into this production, Bald Sisters, um, with a little more knowledge about how I want to move through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, sorry, I don't even feel like I'm answering your question, but (laughs) sure you are. (laughs) But I, uh, no, it's, um, I think right now I have to stay hyper-focused on what's happening. Yeah. Like the other night on one of the previews, I just like, I refused to look at the stage. I just wanted to listen to it because, you know, I wanted to, to hear if the language was landing, you know, there's so much visual noise in the play. Yeah. And it's all really lovely and, and supportive of what I'm doing. Um, <clears throat> I shouldn't say visual noise. I should say <laughs> visual artistry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, design team. Uh, no, the designers are, <laughs> are amazing. It's just, you know, you write a play. You understand this. Like, yeah. you write a play yeah. by yourself for so long, and everything is a dream, mm-hmm. you know? every You're you're visualizing it in your brain. Um, and, and then it happens, and then it's, you know, it's your artistry meets other people's artistries. And, and then, you know, you're stepping further and further away from the words, right? Yeah. And so... So then, like, the other night, I was like, I just need to listen to this and see what's happening mm-hmm. rhythmically. Um, Did you get anything out of that? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. You know, the play is funny. I mean, not that we need to talk about Bald Sisters for this whole thing, <laughs> but um, I just, I find that the tone is a little bit tricky. Um, and I think the tone makes a lot of sense to me just because it is the way I look at the world. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of, I do have a very morbid sense of humor Mm -hmm. and the people around me, the, my family members have been through so many tragic things that, you know, tragedy and comedy lives in the same breath. It's something that I'm very, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's just very intuitive to me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes if, if, if that tone doesn't land like right out the gate in the play, um, it can be confused with just like great tragedy. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is important for this play is that the audience understands that these people, um, for however tragic their lives are, they do have a very forward sense of humor about mm-hmm. things um, and that they are muscling through their trauma and yeah. they're like trying to live very yeah. hard. Well, and the char- the mother character uh, demonstrates that so beautifully because, you know, she's the she's the elder in the play. She lived through uh, the Khmer Rouge yeah. in Cambodia and is uh, the comedian. Like, she is so funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. She, she isn't... Uh, she isn't tragic in any yeah. way despite i mean this isn't even really a spoiler she dies because she yeah, she yeah. dies in, it's like, the first five minutes <laughs> of the she dies yeah. right away yeah. uh there's no spoiler there but yeah um she she could be right a really yeah. sort of sad and tragic character and she's right. not and she brings the comedy and the, the actor who's performing this character just like yeah. kills it it's yeah, beautiful. I mean, Wai Ching Ho, she's, you know, New York theater royalty. She's just been, like, working for a thousand million years. Yeah. Um, and so she's she's been through it all, you know? Mm. And, and I think, you know, immediately when I met her and we sort of engaged with each other in this script, it was like she knew it immediately. Mm. She knew what was happening here. Um, but, yeah, I think Matt, the character of Matt, she's she has got to be everything everywhere all at once, you know, <laughs> right. like, yeah. she's got to be, um, uh, so aware of her history and, and where she's come from and then, you know, have a really kind of, you know, I don't know, 
lived sense or vision of the future mm. because it doesn't matter, you know, like, like actually what matters is, you know, getting the chances to karaoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right, yeah. that feels like that to me was really important in the play to, to make sure that this person was kind of a vision for everyone on the ensemble, mm. uh, a, a sort of roadmap to the way they could like live their lives actually. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself writing, uh, in this way, like dark, dark plays that have sort of a, a comedic edge to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I, f I'd say I, I, I write in dichotomies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up in in Dallas, Texas, and um, in a Cambodian household, but surrounded by, you know, you know, suburban white Texas, mm -hmm. and um, I found. <laughs> that to be funny <laughs> you know what i mean like if for me to be hyper aware that these two things were in conversation with each other always but yeah um how different those worlds were um and so i i do write a lot about texas i do write about my upbringing and mm -hmm. um me sort of navigating being curious about these very two different worlds yeah um the last play that i wrote was um I used to be a competitive speech and debater mm -hmm. um, in Texas. And, um, uh, you know, I was, I found myself in a group of theater kids who were like, you know, the kids of color at the school who were sort of, who found their passion in theater, found a, a mode of expression or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I found that play to be both really funny and also like really dark in terms of like the way in which, you know, um, those theater coaches, those theater directors, like made us into little machines, like little, you know, comp competition machines who had one goal, which was to win. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 f I find great comfort in, you know, those binaries, you know, the, the sort of dichotomy of like, um, things that really are serious and matter and then things that are just ridiculous mm -hmm. um, because I, I actually find myself to, to lit, to, to be born from that space and to continue to, to exist in that space. Did you win a lot doing speech and debate? You know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I didn't feel like I won a lot. Mm -hmm. I felt kind of like a loser yeah. <laughs> because also, you know, my brother was like, the apex competitor oh yeah older brother older brother yeah. and everyone was like uh oh here comes so and so like my brother would like make people quiver in their boots <laughs> or in their little men's house like warehouse speech, tuxedos speech yeah. debate boots <laughs> yeah, right, yeah 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 okay. <laughs> and i was sort i was a year and a half younger than him so i was like you know coming up or whatever but i never was as good as him yeah and i don't think i was as good as my peers either um, but I tried really hard. Yeah. I, I was very serious about it. Um, I say that I didn't think that I won back then a lot, but now that I reflect on, you know, the experience, I mean, yeah, I won a lot. You know, I, I went to state, I went to nationals. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a big deal in, in whether you're like a competitive swimmer or a speech and debate person, like yeah, the, achieving, achieving those levels is like a big a BFD, right? Yeah. I mean, look, in Texas, everything is competition, right? So, like, everything mm. is competitive. And um, and I think that, like, there was a standard that was set very high when I was a child, you know? And, I mean, and that, that's what I find so funny about it. Because, like, what were they doing to us? Like, why were they making us... Why were they making art so competitive? Yeah. That's how I learned about art in some way. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm glad that, like, now in my mid-30s, I've, like, relinquished a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sometimes reminded of how, like, that place, that space has really informed who I am, just in terms of, like, the work ethic of it all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, at the very least, what I loved about that space was that while I was not being cast in, like, the main stage shows in high school... I was absolutely um, getting the opportunity like every weekend to like perform my own monologue or to perform my own two person scene or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of gave me that opportunity to express myself and not, I mean, ultimately express myself over just like winning or whatever. Um, how, how was it that you 
you uh, went into theater in the first place when you were young? Um, I, I guess the first thing I ever did was um, I was a kid. Um, my my cousin was in a high school production of The Sound of Music. <laughs> and, of course, she's like the one Cambodian girl in her <laughs> school who is like nun number seven or whatever. Right. And they needed little kids, you know, for the show. Right. Um, to play, you know, little white German children. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So my brother and I were cast in it, um, and my cousin was sort of like, you know, that cool older cousin who would tell us, who would take us to the library or, like, tell us to do this thing, and right. she certainly was an early influence in, you know, finding art and culture right. and, and whatnot. And when you're when you're young, you're not, like, unless you, correct me if I'm wrong, you're usually not aware, right? You're just, like, a kid, and you're put on stage, and you're like, let's do this oh. play, and it's just fun or... Of course, I had no sense of what theater was. You know, I think it was just like the cell was like, oh, there are going to be a bunch of kids who get to hang out together and you get to run around on stage and you get to like sing and dance. Yeah. And so like, you know, my mom made my brother and I's costumes. You know, we had like, we were like little, two little Cambodian boys in like purple lederhosen. (laughs) I mean, it was truly ridiculous. Uh, But, you know, it was, it was delightful to get to hang out with those kids and, you know, when we were off stage, we would play games together, yeah. you know. So I, I think I was more aware of the community aspect of it, you know, being with other people. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of the first thing. And then we just sort of jumped into plays in high school and obviously did, you know, speech and debate. And, um, and there was I a did, lot of crossover between the speech and debaters and the theater. Yes, there was some, um, there were some weird, like, delineations as far as, like, because theater felt much more, like, the plays felt much more expansive and involved more kids from other spaces. Yeah. Um, uh, and speech and debate felt very serious. It felt like this is the space where we win. Yeah, right. Um, so there was a little crossover, um, and I certainly did both. Um, and I also did like choir and stuff. So I was, I was like hyper involved. I think I actually won like most involved as my superlative. <laughs> I was <She's> like, <laughs> I was, I was class pessimist. Oh yeah. I was class pessimist and it's in the yearbook. And I was like, I can, I got to college after that. And I was like, I cannot be this person <laughs> for my entire life. Like, this Did you feel like you were a pessimist I, back then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah. I was writing, like, dark, sad poetry. Okay. I was that kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as I got older, I was like, I do not want to be, like, forever the class pessimist. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. not a good person to hang out with. <laughs> right. Like, like right. you're, like, it's, it was just like, so I made, I was just like, oh, I think... I think a lot of this is a choice. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, like, I think maybe looking I mean, back, Okay, it was but like, as a kid, like, everything is just, like, those are all just choices, right? Because we're trying to find modes to express ourselves, you know? Yeah. Or we're trying on different identities. I'm not sure if I was aware of it, though. Sure, at the sure. Time. But I, was, I definitely started to put on identities when I got to college. I yeah. was like, one, I'm not going to be the pessimist anymore. Yeah. But two, I got to be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't drink. And that was part of my identity, and I took pride in that. Not yeah. being the drinker, yeah, yeah. I yeah. became a vegetarian. Oh yeah, and like yeah. that. That like I have to say, part of that choice was definitely just to say I'm a vegetarian mm, yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. like different than the people around me. <laughs> right, right, that right. So I was like making choices intentionally, knowing that I needed to just hang my hat on something. Sure. Because sure. I I had no skills and no interests. Mm. I was just like average student. Oh, interesting. Just like floating through. So I needed, but I knew I knew I needed to be something, to say I'm something. Yeah. Wait, so when did you find theater then for uh, you? So one person, my, my undergrad didn't have a theater department, okay. but uh, one person uh, put on a play mm-hmm. of her own that she wrote. And she asked me to be in it. And I was like, oh, cool. That sounds like fun. Mm. In my mind, I was thinking back to high school where my friends were in plays. Mm. Most of the plays were musicals. I didn't get involved because I can't sing. Mm. But I was very jealous of my friends who were doing plays because Mm. it was really cool 
to watch them do guys and dolls oh, yeah. or like the dumb things that you yeah, do yeah, in yeah, high yeah. school. Yeah. I wanted to be part of that. And I had one friend who lived on my street, Corey, who was hilarious. Mm. Corey was very funny and I wanted, uh, I maybe didn't even know it at the time, but I wanted to be like Corey. I wanted to yeah. be funny. I wanted to go on stage. Yeah. I wanted to perform. Um, and so when my, my undergrad friend asked me to be in the play, I was like, oh, sure. I was a tree. Yeah. <laughs> I literally... What kind of tree? I was a fucking tree, a tree that talked. Oh, my I don't God. Even, like, like, That's amazing. But, but that was like the seeds were planted then. Mm. I gra- After I graduated, I got into like improv and, and then performing in plays through my 20s. And then I started writing in my 30s. Mm. But I didn't have anything in my upbringing... Like, this is what, like, I love when I talk to playwrights and uh, hear, like, what was your entry point, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and so many people have this entry point of, like, well, I was, I did plays when I was a kid and then I had yeah. a teacher. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That, like, a lot of, a lot of playwrights had that teacher that was just, like, they Encouraged nudged me in them. a certain yeah. direction. Like, did you have a teacher who, who kind of, like... You know, it's funny because I thought that all of my theater teachers in high school were, like, anti encouragers of my of me as an actor as me as a performer um but i did i did have a english teacher uh my sophomore year of high school her name was darcy perot and i keep quoting her and i don't know where she is and i don't know if she'll ever (laughs) like hear me quoting her all the time yeah yeah uh, or crediting her for like you know me writing but she was i always felt like she was like this little like white lady with blonde hair and she had glass like big glasses and um she just always felt like the kooky teacher like the teacher that shouldn't be in suburban texas and yeah she like felt like an artist to me or something and she would give us these writing assignments i remember one time we had to do like a children's book based on sophie's world i don't know if you remember that book no it's all about philosophy like looking into like western philosophers anyways uh, she just like made us write all these, sh- these these assignments, these these things, that I found like a lot of joy in doing. Mm. I didn't. I don't think I knew that at the time, but like when I reflect back, I mean, my parents have all of my work, and so like when I look back at some of my old writing, I'm like, oh man, I was like really in it. Like I was really, I felt really empowered and really jazzed. Hi. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. I Kobe cut that. that. I love that. <laughs> no, I'm 100% keeping that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, again, I, I don't think I realize her impact in the moment at all, but I do think she believed in me and her feedback in, in some of my writing assignments, you know, were just like, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It wasn't even flowery. There was just kind of a, a very, like a drive to be like, yeah. you should just keep trying, keep yeah. trying. I have a I have a, a middle school teacher. I think I was in seventh grade. Mm. Uh, Craig Hood, who I'm mm. Facebook friends with, That's a great name right Craig now. Uh, we're we're Facebook friends. He's still encouraging mm. me to this day, which is I amazing. Mean, that's powerful. That's huge. And, and, and in social studies class, uh, he allowed me to do us an assignment um, using writing poems. Mm. And I'm here I am 13, right? I've never yeah. written a, I don't know what writing poems is, yeah. but I wrote poems for this like like uh, assignment about western expansion. <laughs> oh, and um, about like wagon trains and all the yeah, death yeah, and yeah. dying, right? The, yeah. But I never wrote a poem and he, and he praised me in front of the class. Mm. And I was a real teacher terror at that age mm. and he this is the first time I ever got praised mm. for my schoolwork. Wow. And that never left me. So yeah, yeah. like years and years and years later, right. uh, that stayed with me when I started to explore writing. Mm. That was actually like the the you know, the little seeds were planted in yeah. seventh grade by Mr. Hood. Yeah, yeah. And uh and I fortunately have had the chance to like you were talking about how your teacher is out there somewhere maybe. Yeah, yeah. I actually was able to tell Mr. Hood that like oh my God, that's these things mattered to me and yeah. they bared fruit and it was like it was like this is a fantastic teacher. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and he's probably had that impact on a lot of other people. Right. Well the fact that he's like still encouraging of you, there's yes. an element of like Oh no, that isn't just my memory. Like that's actually who yeah. you are as a person. It was fant- it's fantastic. Yeah. And every time he comments on something 
that uh, I post on Facebook. I'm just like, yeah. I feel a warm embrace. Mm. It's really amazing. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm really curious if Darcy Perot, Darcy Perot, are you out there? <laughs> um, because I, I am curious, you know, like, I, I, I do wonder, it's like, do they, do these teachers, like, know the effect that they perhaps have on students? Or, because I, because for me, like, yes, she left an indelible mark on me. Like, she really, yeah. she really sort of, like, lifted me up when I really didn't have, not in a sentimental way, just, like, in a way of, like, she, she was like, yes, this seems good. Keep going, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, that I always felt, like, with my other teachers, specifically, like, in theater, in the theater space, because it was so competitive, that, like, like they didn't really care about me. They mm -hmm. cared about winning, you know? And, and I had this one English teacher who was just, like, just, like, whispering into my ear, like, keep going, keep writing, keep creating. And I think that's why I ended up being a playwright. Like I always loved the medium of theater. I always loved like being being in those spaces. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, oh, that that bug of wanting to create those spaces to to actually write stories down, like that started way earlier than act than theater actually. What um, was what were your what are your earliest memories of of writing? As a, just like as a kid in general. Um, yeah. I just. I remember like really loving Greek mythology. Like I remember like um, you remember that Dolores or Dolores book, the one with the big pictures. It's like a a children's book explaining Greek myths. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I just remember like loving like, and I don't know if this actually reflects in my writing whatsoever, <laughs> but like I loved like like human bodies, forms, humans but with like extraordinary powers like and i remember as a kid like writing stories about like humans with powers mm -hmm. and like and 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 people doing extraordinary things like marvel uh, not like comic book type not of even things? really i mean not i wouldn't even say it's like i remember being obsessed with x-men for sure mm -hmm. as a kid um but i would like write like characters that flew but, like, didn't do it for, like, I don't know, like, to battle anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't fly for a living. No, no, no. <laughs> there was no sort of, like, war or combat or, like, doing things to save humanity. But it was just, like, they had this thing and it made them, like, really cool. <laughs> you know? like, right. And they, they were able to just, you know, exercise that power for themselves. Right? Oh, there's Steve. He flies. Yeah, he just He's flies. He's pretty cool. Yeah, or some some dude who like knows the future. Cool, like oh, cool. doesn't do anything maybe with it, but like has possesses that ability, you know. Um, and so I think that sort of, again, I don't think that reflects in my writing at all. But I maybe I think there's the sense that I do think like ordinary people are kind of extraordinary, mm -hmm. um, and I want to like put a magnifying glass on that in some way. Um, but then I will also say that I, I like, as a kid, like I was also really concerned about like social justice and like racial justice. And mm -hmm. like, I would write stories about like, you know, historic people of color, which is so, I, I didn't, I don't have any remembrance of this. I don't have any memory of actually doing this, mm -hmm. but like I was home recently and I, I was looking through my old writing and I was like, writing about Jackie Robinson. I was writing about like Jackie Chan. Like I was writing like these stories about these people who were all named Jackie, who were uh, only uh, named Jackie. Apparently <laughs> that's actually a funny, funny connection. I don't know why, but apparently I'm just obsessed with Jackie's. Um, but I was, I think that's, you know, I think I was aware that I was in Texas and it was very homogenous and very white. And I felt, like I, you know, stuck out like a sore thumb, and I was, I was interested in creating those spaces for people who maybe looked like me or had shared experiences. Yeah, I was like creating a reality for myself. Was your family particularly socially engaged or political? No, not at all. And, and actually, it's been a point of tension. I mean, my parents are very liberal, but like, I've, I've, I've really had to encourage them to like vote. Like, you mm -hmm. need to go vote. Um, I think it was just like certain things happened that made me hyper aware that it felt confusing to be here. Um, obviously all the stuff that my parents have been through and then also like 
Yes, like we experience a lot of racism in Texas. And mm-hmm. I have this like really vivid memory. It'll stay with me forever um, of when my mom went to Walmart one time and she brought my brother and I and she had accidentally gone through the express checkout lane and she didn't realize it was an express checkout lane. She had more than the right. 15 items or whatever. Right. And this, you know, this woman followed her out into the parking lot and was like yelling at her berating her for not knowing English, for not understanding, you know, the sign or whatever. And, um, and I remember my mom was so angry, but I remember her turning around while her kids were in her car. Yeah. She turned around at the woman and she said, you, you fight like a dog. And I remember just being like, this is, I mean, this is, deeply uncomfortable i'm probably like five or something so i don't really like know the details of it right i I just remember the impression or the you know the idea of it yeah um but i do remember her saying that line crystal clear and i've asked my mom like is this the line you said and she's like yeah i said that and and so like you know that (laughs) i remember after that fact my father sat my brother and i down and like said like, this is, like, racism. My dad actually said that word to us as kids. And I was like, oh, I, I don't think I had any context or idea of what that actually meant. But I was, uh, I was aware that we were a little bit different and these things would happen to us ever so often. Mm-hmm. And that's why those things happened. Um, and so I think that, like, I had some sense of of, you know what we represented in that community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, while I don't think I was hyper aware of politics at that point, I think I was just aware of like, you know, being a human in a space where a community was confused by your presence. Mm -hmm. Um, Confused and angry. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, at that point, you know, a lot of Cambodians were immigrating uh, to that area just because they had friends or family who had moved to the area. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, that was, that was frustrating. You know, they were taking jobs away from whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, again, I don't think I had any awareness that that was really going on, but I think I, I just understood that we were here and that caused some tension for some reason. When I, I grew up in New Hampshire, very like, you know, very white, very white. Like Texas is very white. Yeah. And uh, I remember we had one Cambodian family in the town. Like yeah. in my class, there was like one kid who was Cambodian. Yeah. There was like one kid who was black. Yeah. I'm not even sure if there are any Asian kids, but there was like, uh, you know, 90 something percent white folks. Right. And then a very small percentage of people who weren't white. And um, I wish. I wish I was aware of this at the time. Like mm-hmm. I knew, like I didn't think in terms of like, like I'm white and they're not. Mm-hmm. But I wish I had more awareness because I, I, I would have thought more about how they're experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. You know, which must have been hard as hell. And like we had one kid who was Russian, yeah. who couldn't speak English that well. Right, right. And he was otherized, I'm sure. Yeah. For for similar reasons, and uh, it wasn't until years, and like I'm in like I, I think in my 30s before I had a moment where I thought back and was like, oh shit, that must have been really hard, right, right, for them. Right. How did like how did they cope, right, 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 day to day? Well, and I I do think that like you know we grew up in whatever space we grew up with the the, the variables at play that we are given, right. Um, and I, I do envy, you know, this younger generation that is, you know, so connected and mm. has, you know, resources and like TikTok videos and YouTube yeah, to sort yeah. of like be a part of a conversation or to, to, to learn, you know. And I think, you know, we had the TV, right? Like the TV and then, you know, the Internet, obviously. But like when yeah. I was a kid, though, I didn't even have the Internet. So I was right, beholden right. to however television was curated for me. Right. You know, right. right. And it w- like it wasn't a li- <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. particularly diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, for me, at least growing up in Texas, I was. I mean, 
the truth is like now that I I've actually recently looked at like the actual statistics of Carrollton, Texas, which is where I'm from, um, like what the racial breakdown was, and it felt more white than it actually was. Um, it was it had a, a pretty large Latin A Mexican population, um, and also black and white. Um, and the Asian population was a, a little bit higher than I remembered. Um, but, you know, I think it's like to be in that space, to be a child in that space, to know how yeah, certain yeah. things are, are centered in some way or mainstreamed. You know, there's a level of like, oh, like that was, you know, I, I, I we were uh, I, I grew up in the early aughts. I went to high school in the early aughts. And so, like, you know, I. I was just, I think we were all just trying to figure out our way through that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm, I will say I'm, I'm grateful for, not grateful for racism, but I am grateful for, grateful to, to have learned on my own how to sort of engage with that stuff, how to um, figure out my own relationship to, to belonging and, um, and, and, the direction I wanted to go in, you know, I knew I was going to leave Texas from, from jump, you know, like there were, this wasn't the space for me, mm -hmm. you know, to, to feel seen or to be witnessed in any way. I think it's changed a lot, certainly my hometown. Um, but it provided a lot of energy for me to like, look, to be curious and to look to other places that, um, perhaps would provide me that belonging that I was looking for you know where are your where's your family in all of this and you're just in your choices to to leave Texas to explore a life in the arts I mean look my parents are my parents and they love me and they want me around all the time and even even still like my parents are like my mother will always be like like are you sure like maybe like you can come home and live for a while and I'm like I'm okay I'm fine I'm fine um they want me around and I think they have a dream that like maybe one day, I mean, they were holding on to our childhood home for so long because they mm -hmm. thought maybe one we're day we're going to need the space. Well, yeah. Or yeah. I'm going to buy the house you right. know, from them or whatever. Yeah. Um, they miss me a lot, but I, I think our relationship has changed so much over the years. And I think the more I sort of lean into actually what I want from my life and the more I show them that, like the more they're, you know, they understand it, you know, which seems like a pretty simplistic, you know, logic. Mm -hmm. But it took a long time for me to be like, oh, I can't actually just like, I don't know, hide what I'm doing or hide, you know, my ambition. Um, I actually have to show them the life that I desire for myself. Um, and so that has been a lot of like inviting them to workshops I'm doing around the country to see the presentation or yeah. inviting them to the shows that I'm doing. They're, they're coming next week to see the show. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I find that, you know, all of that is currency. Like every time they see what I'm doing and that there are these opportunities that have come up, yeah. they get, you know, information about my life and they have more opportunity to like, you know, to understand it and to be proud of it, you know? What um, do you think success is to them? Like, what, what, how do you oh, think it's they very define clear. Your, <laughs> your success? How do they define that, do you think? Um, I mean, they're old school Cambodians. So they're like, like, and Cambodians of their generation just brag about their kids, about how they're making, you know, 100k a year or whatever and you know ha they just bought a two-story house at whatever you know fancy neighborhood mm -hmm. um oh they have grand they have grandkids or whatever like those are all um you know indications of success in some way um and so i have again i've had to sort of show them what i value as success for myself right um I've had to sort of translate that for them. Um, mm -hmm. And it's hard. I mean, I will say, okay, so like I did that solo show back um, in 2018 and I was acting in that show. And also I was, I had written it. And so I remember giving my mother like the ticket of the show and it said my name on it. Mm -hmm. And it was like something like clock, like something like aligned. And she was like, Oh, I understand this like intersection of like 
creativity and current or uh, commerce. Mm-hmm. Like you are the business. Like she she was like, oh, I see your name. You wow. are on the ticket. Yeah. So I I get it a little bit. Yeah. And of course, like the play itself, you know, they were witnessing their kid like do a, you know, perform the show that was, you know, ostensibly about my life and about my relationship to them. Um, and so that was artistically, I think, moving for them. But also, I think, yes, like the, the commodity of it all. Right. They understood. And, and I do think that they were like, oh, he's successful <laughs> because his name is on this ticket. Right. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, did they talk? Did they engage in the material after they saw it? Yeah. With you? They did, yeah, yeah. It was it was actually interesting because, look, I'm just like a glutton for punishment. Like, I just, <laughs> I'm just like, yes, like, I'm going to put all my family stories all out on the stage, and then I'm going to, like, you know, talk to them about it. Um, did you prep them ahead of time? What I they did, were, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, that experience was deeply moving because, you know, that show itself was about um, uh, my time working as a hotel clerk uh, the graveyard shifts at a hotel in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so I would work from the hours from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Um, and, you know, in that play, it was sort of, you know, time truly felt like a concept. This is based on, like, a true thing that happened. I, I did work at a hotel in New mm-hmm. York City um, <clears throat> from 11 to 7. And, and you know, I was... I had just gotten out of graduate school and I was trying really hard to like be somebody. Um, And also like time felt very confusing for me. Like I thought that I was expanding my schedule because I could, now I had the day to do things. But like I was totally tearing myself apart to try to make, you know, life happen for myself. Yeah. Um, But in the play, um, you know, this, this guy's the, working at this hotel and he's sort of navigating his dreams and his nightmares and it becomes very poetic in in sections. And I remember my dad saying to me afterwards, after seeing the play, he was like, oh, you know, it's so interesting. I always knew you worked really hard. I knew you, 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 you didn't, you were trying to do something. But seeing you in that space, like seeing you at work, like actually witnessing you be at a hotel and, 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 and working late hours, he was like, oh, it made me emotional to watch you do that. Mm. Because it was, it was just an idea to me before, but like seeing you work hard is another thing. Um, mm. And so that felt, again, like another moment of my father or my parents witnessing actually what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, in a very super metal way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean that play too, you know, I was, I was offering, you know, testimonials of, of things that they had gone through. Um, and so I was playing them. I was yeah. actually acting as them and, and I had warned them. T- I had passed that content by them beforehand. Did you feel like you needed permission to yeah. do that? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not looking to, like, you know, re-traumatize my parents in, in, right. in any way, but yeah. I do think their stories are really special and interesting and, and, and compelling and worth being engaged with in that space. Um, but, yeah, I certainly felt like I'm like, mm, just, like, this is what's happening. You feel good yeah. about this. Um, but after I shared, you know, those stories in the play, it was like, my parents wanted to like talk about them and they wanted to sort of riff off of them and they, they wanted to offer more details about them. And, um, I wasn't sure that that's what was going to happen afterwards. I thought they might feel hurt or, you know, confused by, you know, my abstractions of these things. Um, but they, I think they were kind of touched that like I cared enough about their stories to want to put it in this framework. Yeah. Um, and so they, they were just asking me questions about it. And then they would say, actually it was more like this. And I was like, Oh great. You're great. Um, so I anticipate that will happen after this show too. Yeah. If they're not totally horrified. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything horrifying. Yeah. I mean, from, I mean, what do I know? I don't know their perspective. So, 
I mean, perhaps. I will say Matt is wearing like head to toe what my mother wears. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we'll see. Sparkly like, sneakers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful! My I mom's love got it. style. She's got. She I love style. it. I love yeah, it. So we'll see how that goes. That's so. That's so exciting. Did they come to your show at the alley? They did. Make it to Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. You know what's funny is like, um, are are your parents? For for those of us in the theater and playwrights, you know, playwrights aspiring or not aspiring or you know already deep into their careers, having a show at Steppenwolf and having a show at the Alley are big deals. Like these are great, you know, well respected big theater, big regional theaters. Yeah, uh, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Does do do your parents get that? That's like having your having your first, you know full production of a play at the alley theater is like huge right yeah yeah no were they like oh that was that was nice yeah inviting us no it's totally they have no sense of this world you know what i mean and and i don't blame them for that they it's just not part of their world you know and so i think you know when i told my parents that i had a play that was happening down at the alley theater i was like i had to be like oh yeah it's a big big theater and you know it's it is the biggest theater in Houston and um, it certainly is well known across the country and um, also like how exciting that it's happening in Texas so you can we can drive together and you can come Mm -hmm. see it Um, but again this is uh, this is the sort of like commodity aspect of the whole thing they walk up to the theater and there's this huge banner huge it's like stretch across the you know, I, I don't know if you've been to the alley, but it's like this crazy concrete, yeah, brutalist building. It's right. like it's a little scary, honestly. But they put these like show banners across the front of them, and uh, the banner says "High School Play and Nostalgia Fest" by V. Chet Chum, right? And my parents are like, "Oh, you know what I mean?" Like it's <laughs> it's like that aspect of it where they get, you know, they understand what it is to have their son be you know, the, the promotional thing of yeah. the play to, to see their son's name on the show art. It's right. like, oh, this is what my son is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's being, they see, you know, the show be supported, be resourced in that way. And then peop- then they understand, oh, like he's not still doing, you know, a play in the basement of this bar in New York City, which I have done a lot of yeah. and actually like miss a lot. Um, they understand the commodity aspect of it for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to, 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 to take a picture under the banner. You know what I mean? I'm like yeah. happy to, to take a picture with the ticket so that they feel like there is, you know, something tangible that they can, you know, f- frankly like brag to their friends about, you know, because, you know, they don't have the grandchild, you know, they don't have, you know, the hundred K, you know what I mean? Like they have a kid who is doing something very differently, uh, something very different. And, you know, you know, so whatever I can give them, I will give them. Do you feel pressure to eventually uh, call home to say, I've got the house. I've got yeah. the. I've got the job with the big salary. Like, yeah, uh, a child is is on the horizon. Like that kind of stuff. Of course. I mean, yeah, sh- certainly. You know, I'm. I. You know, something I've had to navigate for myself is that you know my own metrics for success and self value, versus like, the thing I need to tell my parents so that I feel some validation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I still feel it deeply, you know, I still, every time I get something, I do let them know so that they can, you know, feel some sense of pride, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always the dream of like, you know, the big salary of whatever project and be like, I mean, I don't know that's ever going to happen actually, but it's, that does exist within me. Um, but I have to like, not let that be uh, let that not guide like how i feel about myself as a person i think about this all the time because my family doesn't engage with me as the artist as the writer yeah because they don't have the language for it right right um so they they don't know how and i'm assuming 
Yeah. We've actually never had this conversation, mm. but I've read the tea leaves, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I get the sense that they don't understand. How do they talk to you about it? They don't. The, at all? No, oh. no. Um, like when I announce, like I have a play coming up or a play gets published or that kind of stuff, mm. like they are like, that's great, but they don't know right. what any of it means. They just know it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, And sure. I'm proud of it, yeah, so yeah. it must be great. But when we talk, I'm just Brian, some guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we don't engage on. So I mm. am like, like when I hear you talk about, well, you know, my parents are like looking for these sort of markers of, of success. I kind of look for those for myself just sure. to have something to say. Right. Because I right. know it's not going to be my art that we that we talk about that we engage on right i mean it's a total bummer right like it's it's really it's it's like it's 99 percent of who i am totally totally and 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 the thing is it's like you are an artist even without the flashy production or whatever like that's what i have to tell myself all the time like in those spaces where like nothing's going on i'm like no but this is actually most of the time like most of the time we are like yes. twiddling our thumbs yes. and going, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and it can, get, and I think what's interesting now being on, you know, having this production at Steppenwolf and how fucking amazing is this? I know it's going to drop too. Like this isn't going to be the reality all the time right. by any means. Yeah. I know at the end of the day, I'm going to go back to my New York apartment at my one bedroom apartment and I'm going to, you know, sit with my thoughts and have an existential crisis. Like, yeah. I just know that's on the horizon, no, right? The, the post-show feelings are yeah, yeah. are for real. Right, right. Yeah. Well, on this feel, like, you know, I'm a Sagittarius. We're in full Sagittarius season right now. And so, like, I'm in a space of great abundance, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I feel yeah. it. I absolutely feel it. Yeah. And I also know that that is not the truth of, like, mm-hmm. our lives. And... And so, yes, post-show, I'm going to go back to my apartment and I'm going to fret about things. And and I do think that there is this feeling of, like, how we communicate what we do to other people, especially when they don't have the language for it. But, like, if we communicate it, it makes it feel like it is, it's real, that it's true, mm-hmm. that it's actually happening in some way. But it's... But I think, you know, at least for myself, I've had to really develop, you know a very private personal relationship to what I do and, 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 and not sort of, I don't know. It's really hard, but not search for, for affirmation about my choice to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, yeah, most of the time I have nothing to communicate to people. Most of the time I don't have anything to, to share with people. Yeah. Um, and that's terribly lonely, but you know, that's when I go, okay, I'm also like, like actually like the things that make me really happy are like laying on the floor with my dog and like mm-hmm. going on walks. And like, that is more true as a human being for me than, you know, having this play at Steppenwolf. I mean, yes, this is amazing. And this right, is true right, to right, who, yeah. I, who I am as a human being. But like, like actually my dog gives me the most joy out of anything in my life. And I mean that so hard, you know, like that's actually, that provides me, you know, things to talk about too. You know what I mean? Like I'll talk about my dog all day long. Yeah. My boyfriend's like, you need to stop obsessing about our dog. But I, what's your dog's name? Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. She's a great Pyrenees. She's a big dog. (laughs) Um, But that's the thing. It's like these variables in our lives, these things that give us purpose, give us identity. It's like actually like, I'm not a playwright all the time. I mean, I am and I'm not. You know, I'm I'm a person and I I I have a dog and I have a partner and mm-hmm. um, you know, there are just other things that provide us joy and purpose. You know, I found earlier uh, in my writing life, I I really struggled with uh, also just being a person. Mm. I was so caught up in well, if I'm gonna be a playwright. I need to be a playwright, right? Twenty four seven, right? Uh, until I'm successful, because yeah. that's how it works, right? Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> and it took, me, so real. it took me years to be like, life is so freaking important. Yeah. And I'm losing that because right. I'm just like putting everything, everything in this one thing. Right, right, right. And both things suffer. Like life and writing both suffer when right. when I do that. Right. And it's right. and I and uh, you know, I eventually came around and figured it out and I'm glad I I'm glad yeah. I did. How have you found have you developed like, you know, strategies for yourself to not you know, get self-obsessed about like success and ambition and well, so part of it is just not being successful, isn't it? Like, success mm-hmm. isn't a choice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rejection yeah. isn't a choice. So right. when you just get them, you yeah. just got to deal with it. Right, right. And I came to a point a few years ago where I was, I realized. Uh, I can only control what I can control, and my right. work is what my work is, and pe- right. and, and it's going to find the right people or it's not. Right. And I made the choice that I'm in it, regardless. Right. right. I'm going to write. Right. It's going to m- go somewhere or it's not. I'm yeah. just writing brings me so much joy. And something we were talking about before uh, I hit record was. Uh, advice I have taken from Jen Silverman, which is mm. to diversify practice. And part of right. um, me taking that advice and finding ways to diversify my practice is finding different ways in which I can engage the world in th- the skills that I have in the ways right. that satisfy me. Right. right. Um, and that's just what I'm going to do. And right. uh, in the meantime, I have this one podcast thing that goes out every month. So I yeah. have one way yeah. to talk to people talk to our community right every month regardless of what's happening with my writing right, um, right. in the world uh, so I'm I'm I've found satisfaction in in where I am and it took a very long time to get to it because yeah. the doldrums lasted a very long time because yeah. all I would see is like peers exploding into the scene and right. having high-profile things and winning these awards right and uh, that's not how it happens for everybody. Right, right, you know? right, right. It's so true. I mean, I just feel like I do remember once this, not I say this teacher, but actually a teacher that meant a lot to me. Um, he said to all of us, uh, this is in graduate school, he said, um, other people's success is not your failure. Yeah, and I really, so important. It's really hard not to to compare what's going on with other people with your own journey, you know? And, and I think, you know, I think I already said this, but like, I I do think that there is a mistrusting of the things that give us joy and of the things that offer us, you know, satisfaction and purpose. I mean, thinking about your podcast, you know, it's like, this is incredible what you're doing, you know, like you're, you're, coalescing that you're gathering calling together all these stories of different playwrights and their own experiences like how lovely to be witnessed in that community in that way um and i think about like all the things in my own life that that do that i can mistrust you know Mm -hmm. i can mistrust as something that actually i delight in and i can be like oh well but that doesn't feed my playwriting career Mm-hmm. And it's like such bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, actually, there are certain things that I do in my life that do actually may seem really, you know, small or minor to and not part of my playwriting journey, but they actually give me great joy. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a funny journey to be on and to constantly feel like you're never doing enough and you're you're mis like to know how you move from being a human to an artist and, and whatever that sort of gradient scale of, mm-hmm. of purpose and desire. And um, I don't know. I've just, I feel like I've had to really, I'm working on it like really hard. Like I'm yeah. working on really hard. Yeah. It's like, there was a moment in rehearsals where I was just like, I hate this. What am I doing? My writing sucks. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no, I'm like not, okay <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like i'm not okay yeah and i'm i i haven't developed um a practice or a discipline for myself in this space to 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 you know to to be present and to be joyful about what's going on 
I mean, we as playwrights are like really neurotic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I express that story or I share that story to just say that like, like, I don't know. It's like, like that human artist compass, you know, it's like, I'm, it's, it's challenging, you know, and nothing is linear. And, um, and I, like we have to like now I sound like a PSA <laughs> but like you know trying to figure out how to trust the things that actually offer you joy you know mm -hmm. yeah I don't know how I landed in that space <laughs> like here's some Vichette-isms for everyone else thank you for Chef for that great chat his play, The Bald Sisters, is playing right now and running through January 15th at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. Go to steppenwolf.org for tickets. I got to see a preview performance, and this is a fantastic play. I really hope you get to see it. Music from this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. The theme song for the subtext is by International Pen Pal. This episode is produced and edited by me, KJ Jarbo, as the subtext's associate producer. Thank you to Rob Weiner-Kent and American Theatre Magazine, a program of Theatre Communications Group. And thank you once again for listening. The play filling me up this month is Dupe by Adrian Dawes, a great play by a great playwright.